What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast, brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of Sports Radio 1310 and 96.7 FM, The Ticket. Today in studio with Barry Horn and Evan Grant. Evan, of course, the beat writer of your Texas Rangers as we talk Ranger baseball. As we record this on a Tuesday morning, the club is 9-11, and just dropped Game 1 of a three-game series against Minnesota last night at the ballpark 3-2. That after sweeping Kansas City over the weekend, and I'm wondering if... Uh, that sweep happened because Evan Grant was not present this weekend at the ballpark. Did you miss all four games? No, I was there on Thursday. Oh, okay. So you were there. Had to show Brandon the ropes. You were there for the extra inning affair of 13 was, innings? Yeah, after uh, flying back on a 6 a.m. flight from San Francisco, went to the extra inning game. Uh, well, you, but you'll be there this coming weekend, right? No. No. We, who's who, who's going to replace you this weekend? Uh, the. Um, there were there were two choices. Um, it was one was hire the the pregnant giraffe from the Dallas Zoo. No longer pregnant. No, she's. I thought she was pregnant. She had the baby. She had the baby. Not the Dallas. The Dallas Zoo has a pregnant giraffe now. Oh, really? Get with the times. There's, Sorry. This is not there's April. A, there's a lot of it going around. There's there. a lot of yeah. There is a lot of giraffe sex out there. There must be a spike in the mating habits of giraffes. Um, it's a big topic for later in the podcast. Well, <laughs> as long as there's no lions around, apparently sure. the giraffes like to get it on. Yeah. Giraffe style. So mm-hmm. who, who's, who will be replacing you this you. weekend? So if you giraffes heard. are having sex, would they would they be necking? They definitely would be necking. All right. There's some definitely necking going on. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so I'm a, replacing you? Yes. Just two days? Two days. Okay. Okay. We'll get into why later on. Sure. Well. Let's not, let's not go right into Barry... Veering off context here. We'll get into it. Okay. The last time we spoke, we you were on the West Coast, and the Rangers went 3-6 and six on their road trip. They come home, they sweep Kansas City, and they do it with not only good starting pitching, I would say great starting pitching, and also very good bullpen work, and such a stark contrast compared to what we saw over the first two weeks of the season. And my question is, was that taking on a Kansas City team that's now hitting 199? Is that pitchers finally getting into a good rhythm why did texas all of a sudden post up a bunch of zeros over a number of innings well i think certainly uh kansas city's offensive struggles have to be considered but you look at that series and you saw you had cole hamels and you darvish pitch like cole hamels and you darvish and uh and an out of nowhere nick martinez out of nowhere nick martinez and maybe that one is a little bit more uh dependent on the fact that the Royals are 
are not hitting. But the thing is with Nick Martinez, though, I think we a lot of us forget that he actually came up and was pretty good for a good stretch. I want to say in the the very disappointing 2014 season, he was in in, in 2014. Based on how bad that team right, was, right. He was he served an adequate purpose. 2015 came out had a really strong April. Yeah, went down after that. What was nice about Nick the other night was he was able to ramp the fastball up to 94. He showed a little bit of a cutter that gave him some more movement and gave him something of an out pitch. And again, I think he took advantage of a Kansas City club that's not that's not great. But you have to start somewhere. And in, in the past, when Rangers have given guys emergency starts like this. Oftentimes they've they've just kind of uh, piddled it away. He he did not, and and I really believe he's probably. I think he's going to get a start on Friday. Uh, I, I think the Rangers will take another five days on AJ Griffin. Yeah, and AJ Griffin, who dealt with gout, which is something I can sympathize with. I've had a couple flare ups in the past few months with my big toe, but nothing like what Griffin dealt with with his ankle, which apparently that was uh, brought on by. A heavy seafood diet on that West Coast trip. You, you're Very a, you, gout gout talk. You should be. This is this. Is I've had I've had gout. You're a young man. You should not be having gout. Evan, have I, you had gout? I agree, but I, here I am. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that I had one bout, one gout bout, um, and it was in Boston when I was with the club covering the team, and my big toe was throbbing. Yeah. And uh, they gave me some anti-inflammatories, and within a day it was it was gone. Yeah, so. it's usually gone within a couple of days. But when you're a starting pitcher, and that's his plant foot, right? That's God. That's got to be. It, his, <laughs> it, this was not his big toe. This was his ankle. So it was hard to put weight on the foot whatsoever. I can't imagine what that concentrated pain I've had in my big toe spreading throughout my entire ankle, and then having to have that right. pressure of landing and throwing a baseball like he does. I saw him in a boot. On Sunday, I know he also threw a bullpen, and he threw a very light bullpen yesterday. May throw another one on Wednesday, but I don't think he's going to have that full bullpen session. I'm just curious: will they make that decision on obviously how he's feeling, but the state of the bullpen heading into a game like that? Because what you could do if if the good starting pitching holds up, you still have Anthony Bass up here now. You have Nick Martinez here. You could sort of treat treat it like a quasi bullpen game if you had to. Well, you could, and you've also got another complication, which is Sam Dyson's eligible to come off the DL on Friday. And if you bring Dyson off the DL, then one of those guys, you know, either you can't bring Griffin back up right then or you've got to send Martinez out. I think the Rangers may try and buy themselves an extra day Mm -hmm. with Sam, then send Nick out, and then deal with the AJ situation. And speaking of Sam Dyson last night, who, Barry, we know had a 27 ERA and Yes, we had do. a phantom, phantom DLing with the hand contusion. He uh, he actually threw a scoreless inning last night for Round Rock. He did walk a guy, but he also missed two bats with two strikeouts, and he's supposed to throw again today. And do you think though, if they try to bide some time to you know make that Friday decision about a starter, will they give him another appearance with Round Rock just to keep him sharp before they yeah, decide I would, to activate? Yeah, I would this think weekend? so. That if he pitches Monday, Tuesday, maybe take Tuesday, maybe take Wednesday and Thursday off. Pitch on Friday, be back up here Saturday or Sunday. And they're, uh, Round Rock's at home that whole time, in, too, in, correct? Evan, in so. what, what role would he come back at? I, I think that right now, you know, outside of the ninth inning, really, there aren't defined roles. Um, and, and, and I think that he could he could pitch anywhere from from the seventh inning on. And on nights when Martin Perez seems to go, he could pitch in the sixth inning. Isn't that a bit of a misnomer? I know Bannister has done this in the past, saying that, oh, there's no roles right now. We're going to go game by game. It's clear that Matt Bush is the closer, and yes. it's, it's very clear that 
no matter what inning it is, you have a Jeremy Jeffress, Keone Kella, Tony Barnett, and Jose Leclerc setup situation. You know, Jose I mean, they're not, they're not getting lost for the last week. They're you know, not last... giving guys particular innings like maybe the those '90s Yankees clubs had with Rivera and Wetland. But it no, and the other the other misnomer here is that Jeff Bannister doesn't like to talk about pieces and sure. he doesn't like to talk about winning pieces versus other pieces. But I think that's what you do have is a situation. Last night they were behind. It was a Jose Leclerc opportunity. And he's pitched well in close games when they've been behind as well. I think he's on both sides of that fence. He I, he has been. I mm-hmm. think right now they feel like with the lack of experience and as well as Bush, it, not Bush, as well as Kella and um, uh, Jeffers are pitching, that those are their seventh and eighth inning guys in games that they lead. Leclerc is for ties or, or games where they're close. Um, and, and so I, I could see that, that Dyson comes back up, gets a couple of low leverage type situations. One thing that from last night that I still want to see some improvement on if I'm the Rangers is it was a 19-pitch inning. And mm. uh, if, if you want to use Sam Dyson on multiple days, you want, to keep, you want to keep that pitch count, 15, 17 pitches per inning. So I'd like to see him be a little bit more efficient tonight. How about this? And I had this thought, seeing the, uh, the amount of appearances that Jeremy Jeffress is bounding up, and he's only throwing a handful of pitches every time out because they're giving him one, maybe two batters sometimes. Why don't you just put Sam Dyson in that role if you need a if you need a ground ball? That way you don't have to say, "Here's your inning, Sam." You just say, "Hey, go throw sinkers and give me a double play." I think that's entirely possible, and I really do think that that with, you know, you get to a situation now where you've got Dyson back, and you've got Jeffress, Claudio, Barnett, Bush, Leclerc, Dyson, Kella. You've got any number of ways you can go. I do think that at that point in time, even though for some reason Dario Alvarez has a zero ERA. I have no idea how that happens. And you were giving me grief on Twitter the other day because he came into a game and promptly walked a guy, and I tweeted, Dario Alvarez is terrible and shouldn't be on the 25-man, which maybe when Jake Diekman gets back and is right, then he, he's not I, going to be. I, I, I mean, the only reason he made the 25-man to start the season, I'm convinced, is because Jeff Bannister wanted a second left-hander. I don't think there's a whole lot of confidence in him. But he did have a really big outing against Kansas City. And my um, God, his K-rate for his career. Like You want to make an argument against a guy you might not like in a bullpen, but you look up and there's given years where he has a K's per nine of like 12 or 13, and you're like, I sound like an idiot by tweeting something like that. But he's also walked four and five innings. Right. And uh, you know, last year when he came over from Atlanta, uh, he, he, he walked seven in, in – uh, I'm sorry, he, he, last year he walked two in 11 innings. Wasn't that bad, but I, I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in the guy. Um, and he struggled a little bit against left-handers. And I think once you've got those guys – and like you say, you know, Sam Dyson is a guy, whether it's a right-hander or a left-handed hitter, if he's going right, you can get the ground mm-hmm. ball. And the thing that made Sam Dyson an effective closer was – not only was he a ground ball pitcher, but you look at most of those ground ball pitchers and they're pitch to contact guys. Dyson had the ability to get some swing and miss. He averaged about seven and a half strikeouts per nine. But minutes. will he reharness that? I guess is the question. Big question. That's a great question. I like guys. I like guys that get ground balls, but when they but when they're got, hit with a good exit velocity, like many of them have been, it's not easy for your defenders to make plays, and that becomes an issue in the ninth inning. And you've got to have an ability when you need a strikeout. You th- that's why ground ball guys. You know, the, for me, the classic example is Dan Kolb, former Ranger prospect, had a big year with Milwaukee as a ground ball closer. 
And the next year, contact absolutely killed him because he had no strikeout pitch. And and so I think that Dyson's sinker, Jeff Bannister said last night, that, that during simulated games and, and what they had seen, they felt like there was some correction there and that Dyson was getting back on top of the ball, was getting that, that late sink. And, and look, guys, what we saw in the World Baseball Classic again this year, which is really one of the first times I've had just a chance to sit back and watch Dyson on replay, you know there was there was incredible late movement to those pitches, yeah. and you weren't going to get you weren't going to get contact. What, what happened? happened? I, I still believe that Sam. I believe that, and and nobody has shot me down on this entirely. Um, and I think with you know with Alex Claudio, certainly there hasn't been a negative effect. But I think these guys went to the World Baseball Classic, particularly the guys who went with Team USA. And this was such a big deal for Team USA. And they got ramped up early. And they were pitching in high leverage and high adrenaline situations. And then and they had to rely on their bullpen a lot, too. And they relied on their bullpen a lot. And then they came back from sp- to spring training and had like 10 days of, okay, let's just get our work in. Right. And then all of a sudden, let's turn it back on. Mm-hmm. And I think for some guys, it's hard to build that adrenaline level back up. Or if you do, you try to do it artificially. And I think when you do it artificially – that's when all of a sudden you start slinging the ball like Slam was and not getting on top of it, not getting that full extension. You're trying to help yourself a little bit. Well, since we're talking mechanics and the mental side of pitching, let's go to last night's losing pitcher, uh, Martin Perez, who's now 1-3. Gave you a quality start, but like you, Darvish, in Oakland this past week, one inning he loses command. And I think Alfonso Marquez had a lot to do with – the decision in last night's game because he was inconsistent behind the plate all night. The umpire. Yeah, the home plate umpire. But you cannot walk. No, you can't walk the number nine guy. Here, here's he, even though it looked like he struck him out, if you look at the uh, the pitch you, FX. If you go look and if you go back and look at the pitch tracker, the fourth ball was as much in the strike zone as any ball that I've ever seen called a ball before. Problem for me is not with that fourth pitch. It's with the fact that the first ball, he got ahead 0 and 1 mm-hmm. against a 107, who was a guy who was hitting 107 at that moment. Got ahead 0 and 1. And that was after a strikeout to get the second out of the inning, too. Right. He struck out the number eight hitter, got ahead 0 and 1. Okay. Then he comes way inside, way inside. Which is what Doug Brokell wants, and we'll get yes. to that. <laughs> Six, you know, but, but way inside. Um, ball. I'm, what I'm going to tell you is, I, I'll guarantee you, Brokale would say that looked like a ball out of the hand of the hitter. Not going to move him. Not going to do anything. Uh, gets a second strike. Then comes back way inside again, way off the plate. Those are two pitches. You've got to get. You've got to get one out there. Pitch to contact. Get quick contact. Get the out. Yeah, and that in, in a case like that where a guy's hitting a buck seven, he's going to get himself Correct. out. Yeah, it was it was a bad night for the home plate umpire. He then ejects Jeff Bannister in the ninth on a pitch that I thought was a strike to Elvis Andrus on two two. But I think Banny was just fed up with <laughs> how the whole night progressed, and he claims he got ran for simply clapping. In the it, dugout. He's a very loud clapper. Um, I mean, look at him. He's got big. He's how got would that big, guy not clap loud? What 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 is, what is what is that device you clap for in in your house? It's, That's the clapper. The clapper. And what is it for? You have one, Barry. What Stop is it, it for? You Turns clap on, on and lights. you clap Turn off. Turn the light, clap on, clap off. Does he have that in his home? I don't think so. Maybe he was trying to get it. Jeff get Bannister just looks at the lights and they turn off. <laughs> wow. Um, He's imposing. 
But uh, it was a bad night for Marquez all the way around. I, I've never seen Nomar Mazzara react the way he did to a called third strike. Um, and even Elvis, who you know, will we'll sometimes take a look in. He actually Elvis had a was lot apoplectic of in the ninth inning. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan Lucroy, when I walked into the clubhouse, was just shaking his head. He wouldn't really, wouldn't really go into detail on what he thought of the strike zone, but he, he was just shaking his head. And and uh, you know, I, from the Rangers' perspective, it, it, the strike zone changed from inning to inning and shifted. I do know that when I looked at the, uh, we we put way too much on what we're given information now, and we don't know if it's accurate or not, but. I look at that pitch tracker and that, and I looked at the track of the ball on the replay, and it looked like a ball out of the hand, and looked like it never came close to the outside edge of the strike zone. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, it looked like an Eric Gregg nineteen ninety seven NLCS strike zone, which is the worst strike zone I've ever seen in a game. Were, it, were there uh, were there similar similar calls against? The other team. Well, if it you felt, talk to them all, my, it was very Minnesota tilted the whole night. I felt. If you talk to Twitter, absolutely not. Um, I again, I think that when you try and throw inside as much as the Rangers do, it's going to be harder to get the edges because there's going to be body movement. There's going to be gesturing on on the body part, and and so I don't know if it's well. And on the other side, there's Phil Hughes, who always works around the plate, never walks anybody hardly. He hit a guy last night, which was stunning. Right. He only struck out two, and Texas was swinging very early in counts. We'll get to the offensive struggles here in a minute. But it felt like because Martin Perez is who he is with his command issues at times, Minnesota was letting him be himself, and well, then he got Min- himself into trouble. You know, Minnesota leads the major leagues in walks taken with 85 now after mm. taking five last night. And that's going to be a key for Andrew Kashner tonight. Uh, he walked four and got away with it against Kansas City, but the Twins are going to go up there, and they may not, they may not have great hitters. You know, they they may not Buxton and the the bottom third of that lineup may be really weak, but they're going to go up there and they're going to take some pitches. But I want to get back to Perez and his mechanics because Bannister after the game said that he was, I guess, rushing things, rushing his pitches there in the fifth inning, which caused him to lose command. The only inning of the night he lost command. I'm curious though because he's a left-hander because he's not a complete flamethrower. I'm wondering at what point in his career is he going to, like Cole Hamels when he's on, find a good rhythm and have a repeatable motion every time to where he can command his pitches. But, Sean, this is this is my issue with Martin last night and more in general. Um, and it, We always we tend to gravitate towards the one inning where he supposedly lost command because there's multiple walks. Uh, it's a 30-pitch inning. Um, and and it looks like he's he gets rattled, but here's the deal: this guy leads the major leagues in three ball count pitches. Wow! You know, he goes too deep into counts. And 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 what's most frustrating for the Rangers is that last year, and I, I haven't looked at the stats this week, but Perez doesn't have an issue throwing first pitch strikes. What happens is he gets ahead of hitters, and instead of putting them away, then he tries to make a perfect pitch. He has got to sit, just sit there and trust the stuff and say, okay, I can throw the sinker, get a ground ball, let my infield do the work. And his changeup is such a plus pitch, and it's an out pitch, but you feel like there's nights where it moves too much. And, right. and I think hitters can maybe key on that, and then they create a game plan mid-game and go, okay, we're laying off the changeup, although then Dozier you know, <laughs> hits right. one last night to the left center field gap. And, you know, it, 
I I well, feel I feel like much like with you, Darvish, Martin Perez. People talk too negatively about it because of the one bad inning. If you look at most major league starters who are three and below, which is where I think Perez is, they're all going to have an inning where they throw about twenty to thirty pitches and they're going to give up a few runs. And if if he gives you that every night, he's going to give you two hundred innings again. As long as he doesn't walk three and then allow sure. all three of them to score. Sure. So how many innings did he pitch last night? Six. Okay, and he, he went back out for the sixth after the fifth, right. which is great. Yeah, but maybe this goes to the other side of the the ledger here. If he gives up three runs in six innings, should the Rangers possibly be able to win the game with the bats? Yes. Absolutely. Um, yes, they, and they were two for nine with runners in scoring position last night. I think it was as bad a performance as they've had this year with runners in scoring position. But it's still, to me, on this situation, Barry comes back to this. You had a lead going to the fifth inning. You've got the bottom third of the order coming up. You cannot walk three guys in a four-batter span, and you cannot walk Byron Buxton with two outs. But last night sort of illuminated a large problem, and I know Barry wants to get into this here because we were talking the team batting average before we started. It's 211, and because Kansas City had only two hits last night against the White Sox, they trailed the American League at 199, and obviously they didn't get many hits against Texas over the four-game series in Arlington. But last night just sort of reemphasized after a really positive weekend winning ballgames that – Things are not good a month into the season as far as the offense goes, and I don't want to just sit here and say they're lacking Adrian Beltre in the middle of the lineup, but they're lacking a bat that gives you uh, a hitter that gives you a good competitive at bat. Changes and, the dynamic of the lineup. And last night, I think because of their game plan, they were trying to swing early against Phil Hughes, who always works around the plate, and right. I think it sort of that game plan worked against them as the game wore on. They, uh, you go back to. Go back to the first week of the season, and Odor had some great, patient, disciplined at-bats. He's gotten into a bad habit of, of swinging at a lot of first pitches. They've talked to him about it. Uh, at least he hit a double on one last he night. He did have a double <laughs> last good. night. Um, and the opposite way, which was nice. Mazzara has really, I think, gotten away from his game plan after the first week of the season. Uh, and this team has... This team, you know, we talk about fielding can be contagious and hitting can be contagious, and I think hitting slumps can be contagious, particularly with power-hitting clubs. You hit a lot of home runs, and I think it's human nature. Guys all want to pitch yeah. in. Uh, and instead of just pitching the baton, passing the baton, they want to do their part. This club is too home-run reliant right now, and I think it does bleed over into some of their run-scoring situations when manufacturing or or passing the baton to the next hitter would do the trick. And you don't want to just say, you know, make the excuse of, well, they face some good pitchers here lately. But on that road trip, they ran into Paxton. They ran into Felix. They ran into uh, some pretty good starts from Oakland. Andrew Triggs. Uh, yeah, Andrew Triggs. Had who a, has not allowed a run. Very good. Kendall Graveman, I think. Uh, no, Graveman did not pitch. He, he was, pitched he, in. He pitched here. Yeah, that's right. He pitched here. All right. So how do, we, how do they snap out of it? I think it's it, it it again. It's it's a team effort. It, it comes back to guys have got to buy into you know it's about passing the baton and it is about a we're going to look for one pitch, one zone kind of approach. If we don't get it, we're not going to put a swing on the ball unless we've got two strikes 
And if we do get it, then we'll look to do some punishment. Isn't it nuts we're looking forward to Joey Gallo at bats right now? <laughs> I mean, I think I think that, yeah, you can talk about how bad the offense is, and it is, and you, you assume it'll turn around because I think they'll sort of, you know, regress to the mean or I guess improve to the mean at some point. But Joey Gallo last night hit an 0-2 curveball for a single to right field, which the prodigious power is awesome. He hit a popcorn maker. He had an upper deck shot. He had an opposite field home run Sunday that went 438 feet into the bullpen. But to me, somebody that wants to see him develop as a hitter, I got off on that 0-2 curveball dunked into right a lot more than any of those. But home you're runs. in the you're in the minority. True, there. true, right. true. <laughs> what everybody is focusing on, what everybody is focusing on, is the fact that he's hit a 462 foot home run. That he's hit two home runs at 116 miles an hour. <laughs> That's crazy. The two hardest hit home runs in baseball this year. But my my point, I think, goes with you, Sean. He is he's going to the plate with an approach. I talked to him a little bit about this yesterday. Uh, did a little bit of research. You know, you look at the six home runs. There are five of them are on 00 or 10 counts. He's going up to the plate, looking for a fastball in the strike zone, putting an aggressive swing on it. The second part, and I think the more important part, is after the Rangers have emphasized to him, look, you're going to strike out. Don't worry about the strikeouts. Part of that is don't worry about getting to two strikes. Well, it's going to happen. The thing is with the strikeouts, a lot of them are happening on 3-2. Right. Which, you know, I kind of feel like if the count goes full, it's almost always a good at bat. No, no matter what the outcome is for Absolutely. anybody. But he's also, I think he's more comfortable now with two strikes to put a decent swing on the ball. He's got three strikes. He's got three hits this year after falling down 0-2 in the count. This is a guy who in his first two years in the big leagues was 0 for 36. <laughs> so after falling down 0-2. Wow. He was after, I believe, when he had that first hit the first week of the season, at that point in time, he was 0 for 42 in his career when he had fallen down 0 and 2 in the count with 38 strikeouts. That's as close as you can be to an automatic out. That's stunning. Yeah. So, so what happens when Beltre comes back? He goes to left field. Let's. I mean, this is not. First of all, Adrian Beltre is not going to be back this week. Uh, it, I, I think it's going to be sometime first week of May before he gets back. Maybe and the so, Houston series. That would be nice. Might be the Houston series. I'm thinking it probably happens on the road trip, but we're still talking about 10 days, okay, at this point. There's a lot that can happen in 10 days. Joey Gallo, as streaky as he as he is, he could go 10 days without making contact. Too. Or? I don't think that's going to happen. But at this point in time, based on Jeff Bannister's idea of a meritocracy and forcing yourself into the lineup, Joey Gallo who can pl- who is an athletic player. He's a very good base runner. We saw the double steal last night with him. Mm-hmm. He, but, but he and you know there's a difference too between base stealer and base runner. I he's a very good base runner. He he runs, he he cuts bases really well. He's got a really good feel on the bases. He's a very athletic big man. Okay? With this being the NFL draft time, you would project him as a strong safety maybe in the NFL. I like I like tight end target. Okay. Yeah, that works. he's no Gavin Escobar. That thank God for that. Who is? Thank thank God for that. But 
he's played left field. He can go to left field, and he can also give the Rangers that left-handed hitting first baseman for days when they want to give Mike Napoli time off against righty. And it looks like they need to get Napoli off his feet some. He's shown some good signs, I think, lately. They don't want another 550 at-bat season. No, no. But, okay, so to fix that issue, is Joey Gallo up to speed defensively enough at first base, or is he going to have to get some work in as Beltre gets closer and closer? He'll get some work in there, and it may be one of those situations. Remember, Jerickson Profar had never played first base, never worked out at first base, went out there one day and then played the position the next night. Uh, I I think that that Gallo's certainly got a better foundation there, but I think this is the kind of situation, and first is the kind of position where, okay, even though Ron Washington in Moneyball said it's an incredibly hard position, you can put a good hitter there, you can get by with him for a couple of days, and he can continue to work. I mean, he'll just have to work on footwork it's, before yeah, games, it's right? It's a position you can learn on the fly. And again, as athletic as he is, as well as he moves, and, and I think the thing that's gotten short shrift in, in all of this is just how well Joey has played third base. He's played, That's his favorite position, too, right? It is. It is he likes to play. It's what he'll be once Beltre is, is done. Correct. But athletically... He has played the position really well. I want to. I I say that the uh, catch he made, the diving catch he made on Sunday at third base, I don't think that's a play Beltre makes for two reasons. I think Beltre's biggest strength is his hands more so than first step or anything. He anticipates well, particularly on bunts and coming in. I don't know if he'd be able to have that kind of lateral movement. Second part of that is as Jeff Bannister said yesterday. I thought this was a great line. When asked about Joey in defense, he said, Joey's range is helped by his range. He's so big and so tall, that, and, and he's got such a big wingspan, that he doesn't have to go as far to be able to make a catch. Yet it hurt him on the backhand play last night because he's so big he had to stop he himself to stop and couldn't gather. But and Still made a fa- yeah, I, I, mean, I thought a fabulous throw. From I thought he was going to put it in his pocket. I'm like, why are you throwing this? And it was just a step late. Should yeah. we, Evan, at the risk of, of being accused of hijacking the podcast, should we say Cottage for Profar? No, no. And and Barry, Sean is from Mesquite. He has no idea what Cottage is. Yeah. Um, it's a Jewish term. Cottage cheese? Like, that's, that's it's, the only uh, thing I It's something you say as <laughs> kind of for a dead warning person. for the dead. But I, I think Profar, I think in this situation, Profar would lose significant Cottage playing cheese. time. But I do think that he'd still have a role as a utility guy. And the more this summer progresses, the more you're going to have to get some guys off their feet. What's his trade value now? It's not very good. It's 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 minimal at this point. And with each day, as he continues to pile up more service time and he's closer and closer to a free agency, there's no long-term value in him for another team. And so he may end up, you know, he may end up being a utility player here for his for his entire career, go somewhere else and finally get a chance. But no, there's there's minimal value in him right now. And and look, he's been given a chance to seize left field early in the season, and he hasn't done it. And it says a lot last night when a a, uh, left-hander comes in and Ryan Rua has to pitch hit because Profar – it's great they, having a switch hitter, but when you can't hit they from the right side. They don't consider Profar an adequate option no. from, from the right side. He's not. Uh, Rangers, what, three, four more games on this? Excuse me. I'm trying to think. No, they've, they've Five more games the weekend. on this home They've got three right. left with Minnesota, uh, two left with Minnesota, off day on Thursday, right. and then uh, three against the hated Angels. So the, and then you're taking the weekend off again, right? Yes. So the day off Thursday. Friday and Saturday. Saturday's a big day. 
What? It's a six six o'clock start, isn't it? Six fifteen. They scheduled the six o'clock start, so you'd be able to make make deadline. deadline? Yeah. And I'm glad you guys are going there because that's going to be a U Darvish start. And I wanted to spend a few minutes oh. on his past week because we think it's going to be a U Darvish. We start. we assume yes. Uh, so you throws eight innings, struck out eight outside of a couple of home runs in the what was that the fourth inning, third Fifth, or fourth, third or fourth inning yeah. against Kansas City. Couple mistake pitches got hit. Outside of that, he was brilliant. 113 pitches, the most he's thrown since coming back from Tommy John surgery. And I want to, as a beat writer, I'm curious about your perspective on this because I don't go in the clubhouse nearly as much as I used to. I'm usually in studio doing post game, but back in the day, I don't remember the Rangers pitching coach, whether it be Maddox or whoever before him, would talk after games. Obviously, after they take you Darvish out, you couldn't out in Oakland. find Maddox after games. Right. So they take you Darvish out in the sixth inning in Oakland. He looks surprised. There was only 82 pitches. He lost command big time and uh, gave up the, a two nothing lead and and put some runners on. I guess there's a debate whether you leave your ace in there or go to your fourth best reliever in Tony Barnett. My whole thing is Doug Brocale went to the media or was offered up to the media after the game to voice his displeasure. I went to Doug Brokale. So you went to Doug Brokale. Okay, so we get the quotes about him saying how he wasn't pleased with the game plan at all, even though you goes the minimum over five innings, then things go sideways in the sixth. It gets talked about, people like me, people on our station. It, it, it burns segments. It's fodder. I'm sure some ink was spilled on it. So that we think, okay, what's the situation between you, Darvish, Doug Brokale, and Jeff Bannister? And then we get the report the next day that you goes to Brocale. They do video work together. You talks to Banny. Everything's smoothed over. Then he goes out there and throws a gym on Sunday. Doug Brocale's offered up by John Blake, the media relations director of the Rangers, as we're all thinking everything's done in the clubhouse. They're, they're, you know, you've been in the clubhouse. It's, right. You kind of understand when it's time to get the hell out of there. We were all surprised to see Doug Brocale offered up, and then he has nothing but gushing things to say about you. Is that a, I guess, a public display of, hey, everything's cool? Because, well, because I, I just don't remember the pitching coach being offered up like that. I, I don't. There's a couple of things involved here, and let me make this. Let me first make this as clear as I possibly can. The idea that there is an that there was an issue behind, between you, Darvish, and Doug Brocale, I think is silly, um, and I think I've tried to allude uh, over the course of the last eight months to how good a relationship that they've developed. Uh, we did write about that in the Rangers preview section uh, and did talk about the give and take that these two guys have. And, and so this narrative, because Brocale criticized his game plan uh, uh, that, that, that sprung up really completely, I think, out of conjecture, I think is, is, is unfair to Brocale and unfair to Darvish. But in fairness to talking heads like me that never see Doug Brocale quotes after a game, it seemed very surprising to see. Well, but, but not a- but not only that, it's will you be here? Is, is, is that another reason? Oh, it's 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 a seminal reason. Everybody, everything you Darvish does this season is, is under a microscope. I, only I think only by the fans. I don't think the Rangers are operating with the idea that you Darvish will be here next year. So because if they thought he was going to be here next year, there would have been more serious talks. I think that they feel like that you Darvish is going to test the free agency market. I believe the Rangers' perspective at this point in time. Is that all things can all things considered equal? They will put their efforts into Shohei Otani. If Otani doesn't sign with Texas and Darvish is still available, I think Darvish will become their first target. But I feel like they think that Otani would carry more value at a younger age. Remi- remi- remind me who 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 you're talking about. Shohei Otani is yeah. the next you Darvish. He's the Japanese he can, Babe Ruth, except he can hit too. 
So, um, and the question is, you know, there are going to be teams over here who will allow him to hit. But if you allow a pitcher to hit and he's your DH, are you risking him to hamstring injuries? Or, or, are you risking him to getting hit? An oblique. Pitch? Or yeah. what if he's pitching in the National League? If he's pitching in the National League, he's only going to hit one, once every five days. Or be used as a pinch hitter. Pinch hitter. Or a pinch hitter, yes. Let's but just hope I, he doesn't ride a dirt bike on I, I, Yeah, Exactly. I, I think that this guy – Pitching the, for the Dodgers, for example. The value in this guy actually – you know, people talk about pitchers wanting to hit, and that's why they go to the, Ameri- to the National League. I think the value in this guy is actually to an American League team right. because he could potentially be the DH – at least a couple times a week, maybe not the day before he pitches, but I think that the teams do see some value in that. Okay, this guy could basically hold two roster spots for you. So let's go back to Darvish for a minute. Um, Doug Brocale criticized the, the the game plan, and he was frustrated. and And Doug Brocale is is a more wear your emotions on your sleeve kind of pitching coach than Mike Maddox ever. Was. He was that way as a player, absolutely. Um, uh, Doug Brocale was a, at, at the center of the of the brouhaha in Oakland that led to Frankie Francisco throwing the chair in the stands. I don't I don't want to get too far off point here. Is that yeah he does wear his emotions on the sleeve sometimes, but I also think that there's there's two things here that weren't involved. I think with Doug Brocale there's a much more give and take approach with his pitchers than there was with Mike Maddox. Mike did exceptional preparation. He he spent numbers of hours uh, in front of the video screen. And then he would take all that preparation and give it to the pitcher and say, follow this. Right. Do this, you'll be successful. Doug is much more... He made C.J. Wilson a lot of money doing that, I think. He did. He, C.J. He, he, would follow a game plan from Doug, uh, from Mike Maddox. At least initially. Sure. <laughs> um, he until he learned how to fly the plane. Right. Um, with Doug, I think there's much more give and take, and I think he's much more willing to sit down with the pitchers and have a conversation with them. And we'll, he will also challenge them. And I think you Darvish, you Darvish does not want no, just nothing but flowers and, oh, you're this and, oh, you're that, and, hey, what about throwing more fastballs? I think Darvish wants to talk pitching with guys. He wants give and take. After that game in Oakland, the, you know, I talked to him. Rugnet Odor, he went and found Rugnet Odor and asked him to talk to him about what Rugi saw on the field in the, yeah. fifth, in the sixth inning. Then he went over to Bro- – after he talked to the media, then he went over to Brocale, sat down and watched TV. Not not only this, in, in that Oakland clubhouse, you have to understand, is very small. There's not a lot of seating. Darvish squatted down um, in front of the video screen where Brocale was sitting, very perplexed, as was the manager at that point in time. But to me, that body language said, I'm invested in this. I want to see this. He acknowledged basically to me that he had pitched too defensively in the sixth inning mm-hmm. and that he would learn from this. And so the the narrative that sprung up because Doug Brocale offered some some criticism of you, Darvish, I think was, was unfair. But I also think that what happened was you saw you, Darvish, go out there on Sunday and say, I'm going to execute this plan. I am going to be aggressive. I'm going to remain aggressive. And as important as anything was that gave up the two home runs and then he got better. He didn't let that he didn't let that knock him off his game. So are we going to stop hearing from Doug Brocale after you Darvish starts? Oh no, I don't think so. You think that'll be a regular thing? Yeah, well, you know, it's much more regular the 
the Japanese media always wants to talk to Rokale if they can. Sure. They want to talk to everybody who had any the role. The catcher in, of Rokale, everybody, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that where this this situation was concerned was an eight-inning start, was an afternoon game. Guys weren't on as tight a deadline. It was it was easier for John to make sure that everybody got a chance to talk. Well, to half the media had left. I was just surprised he was offered up, and it, it just from not being so close to it like you are. It it appeared to be sort of a smoothing over a public image type thing. I I know this that if if I, I feel much more confident in saying this. If I want to talk to Doug Rokale after a game, I will have that opportunity. I cannot say the same for Mike Maddox. Okay, interesting. That's why I asked the question. Can you give me a little pass that says, when I'm there uh, Saturday night, that I am you, and he should talk to me? <laughs> no. No, I'm not doing that. Evan says it's okay. E- so, Evan's, Evan said you'll talk to me. So let's get to Saturday night. Is there anything you need to know about Saturday night? Let me tell you something about covering the Texas Rangers, my young friend. <laughs> I was in that clubhouse when Doug Rader was throwing underwear at writers in the manager's office at Arlington Stadium. So? I've been there, sir. That was 35 years ago. I've been there, sir. What would you like to know about Saturday night? I would like to know, what are our deadlines? Are they good? Sean, see, this is the problem with the high, You know, we talked about Why this won't in you the be pre-show. there? Wait a minute, wait. Why won't you be there? Why won't you be there? Thank you. We finally got to that. It's prom night, Barry. You're going to the prom? I'm not going to the prom, <laughs> but my stepdaughter is. She has a date. Uh, she has a beautiful dress, and my wife has asked me if I would be home to take some pictures and be part of what amounts to a family-type activity. It's a big dog and pony show before. Or, yes. or are you going to be there to lay down the law? No, I don't lay down laws, except to you. But it does bring back memories of all of our proms. And I didn't go to a prom, my high school prom. Oh, Barry. I didn't go. I'm sorry, Pat. I went to high school so long ago. <laughs> this this was this, this was predated the, prom. The Vietnam War was raging. Uh-huh. It was uncool to go to a prom. I don't even think we had a prom back that year. All we did was have Earth Day. We had Earth Day like every week, and we'd all walk out of uh, off campus and walk out of school. And the thing is, you I guys protest. were actually wearing Earth shoes at those points. It, it was. It was. A, <laughs> let me just say that. Ugly. Let me just say this. It was a long time ago. I could have gone to the prom. I just wanted to go. So, Sean, you went to the prom. I went to a couple proms. Two, more than one prom. As a junior, I was, uh, I was, <laughs> my dad and the mother of my date brokered a deal while I was out partying with my friends on a Saturday night. I get home Sunday morning out on my deck trying to work off a hangover, and my dad tells me that I'm going to prom with a classmate that so I had. So, you were 21 when you were a junior? No, 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 no. Don't, don't, look, I'm from Mesquite. Just don't worry about it, okay? okay. Just, just roll with the story. But point being is uh, this, this girl who I was friends with that I didn't really have much interest in, uh, apparently her mom called my dad and said that we'll pay for the suit and we'll pay for the ticket if your son will go to prom with my daughter. And my dad, of course, says yes, and I'm kind of seeing somebody else at a different school. Full so, disclosure. Was she interested in you? Oh yeah! Oh, she was. Oh yeah, and it was it was so and it was, was it was a sh- it was a couple's date prom too. So all of her friends who were you know with other people, they're in a limo making out and making eyes. Were at one you another. like a boy toy at Mesquite? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. But you know, were you, were you simply at Mesquite High School? Is that Skeeter? Yes, you're a Skeeter. And, but then my you senior, did okay for yourself. I did. Well, I was out kicking my coverage as a senior because I was dating a girl younger than me who was uh, one of the drill team captains, and I was I was doing all right. 
It was it, things were good then. That was a lot of fun. That's that's the prom I want to remember, not the awkward uh, brokered one by my dad two and proms. her mom. Evan, did you go to two proms? I went to one prom, and I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> this is an honest to god, truthful story of how I went to prom. Okay, was sitting in trig class, which I was failing. Who failing? Um, that's why you're a writer, and that's about as far as I got. You know, like my <laughs> my stepdaughter is going to be in calculus next year, pre AP or AP calculus, whatever. I got as far as failing trig and was talking about, yeah, the prom's coming up. Uh, I'm not going to go, blah, 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 blah. And the girl behind me, who happened to be actually a cheerleader, okay, hey she now. was a cheerleader. A pity, is this a pity prom date? She said, um, she said, oh, you, you know, it's okay. And she said, I don't have a prom date either. Were you bald at this point? I was not. Oh. And so I asked her in the classic classic evan manner of how i <laughs> picked up so many chicks in my life i know i can see this coming i said well adele you wouldn't want to go adele? to the adele adele oh, she was in your she the adele no not the oh. adele so well i was gonna adele, say a good pickup line would simply be hello not at that point in time oh, okay. not in 1983 i said adele you wouldn't want to go to the prom with me would you and she actually said yes to that line whoa was this a big youtube video back then uh when People go, this guy is taking this girl to the prom. No, but the, and there were no prom proposals or anything. I mean, literally, I said, Adele, you wouldn't want to go to prom with me, would you? You weren't like Pedro in uh, Napoleon Dynamite where you had to build her a cake or something? No. Oh, okay. I, I simply said, you wouldn't want to go, would you? And she said, yeah, sure, I'd go. Hey. And so we went. Why nice. did she go? What, deep down, what do you think she wanted? I think she wanted to go to the prom. And, and she, was, she was one of those girls who was... So pretty, everybody thought she had a date and nobody would ask her? No, she was a junior, and so it was the senior prom, and oh, so nobody had asked see. her. So I took a junior cheerleader to the senior prom. Are there fo- Is there photographic evidence? Uh, you know what? I may still have the-, the I want to uh, see those photos. I may still have that photo somewhere that has me in the- <laughs> I bet you do. In the Dude. tux- with the with hair. baby blue. I want this posted with the with the podcast. <laughs> feathered hair? Tell me it's feathered hair in 83. It was feathered. Yes. Uh yes. the baby blue dicky on my uh on my tux. Oh, like a dumb and dumber tux. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful look. Bitching. <laughs> and we went to Benihana. <laughs> hey. Which is where all the prom dates went. You know, that's where all I took right. my my wife am I was gonna say my first wife, my only wife, my wife on our first date, <laughs> Benihana's. <laughs> How much did she have to pay? <laughs> She paid. Uh, were you cheap on her? She <laughs> get the chicken. We had the coupon. We had the coupon. There you was, go. We had, we had. It was it was in Miami. I think I think the date started at four o'clock. It was the early bird special. There you go. It's so unbelievable. There you go. So that's my prom story. Okay. So what's the cut of this boy's jib that's taking your stepdaughter to prom? Do you like the kid? Do you know the I kid? I don't know the kid. Uh, he's, really. Uh, he's an escort for the drill team. He's an so uh, hmm. paid escort? Huh? Paid escort. No, they're not paid. Okay, um, those guys do okay, from what I remember. Yeah, but I, I just, I think he's, I think he's definitely in the friend zone. And let me just say that oh, on good. Saturday night, he will be warned that this is the friend zone. I just okay. told, asked you if you were going to be one of those dads, and you said that wasn't your job. I didn't say I laid down any laws. I'm just going to say this is the friend zone. Will the friend zone be bigger than Alfonso Marquez's strike zone last night? 
think it'll be more well-defined. Okay, okay, there we go. Be more All right. well-defined. And on that, that'll do it for another edition of the Rangers podcast here on Ballsy. I'm Sean Bass with Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket. He's Evan Grant of the Morning News, Barry Horn. And we uh, do want to promote the uh, draft podcast we have here this week as we're going to talk to Br- Dane Brugler, NFL draft uh, analyst for CBS Sports. Be sure to download that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.